that with us forever. How is it down there, Six? Ella asks, leaning over Marina. I turn back towards the window. The men below the plane begin to clear away their equipment, conducting a few last-minute checks. So far, so good. My seat is directly over the wing, which is comforting to me. On more than one occasion, I've had to use my legacies to help a pilot out of a jam. Once, over southern Mexico, I used my telekinesis to push the plane a dozen degrees to the right only seconds before crashing into the side of a mountain. Last year, I got 124 passengers safely through a vicious thunderstorm over Kansas by surrounding the plane with an impervious cloud of cool air. We shot through the storm like a bullet through a balloon. When the ground crew moves on to the next plane, I follow Ella's gaze towards the front of the aisle. We're both impatient for Creighton to board. That will mean everything is okay, at least for now. Every seat is full but the one behind Ella. Where is he? I glance out at the wing again, scanning the area for anything out of the ordinary. I lean down and shove my backpack under my seat. It's practically empty, so it folds down easily. Creighton bought it for me at the airport. The three of us need to look like normal teenagers he says, like high school students on a field trip. That's why there's a biology textbook on Ella's lap. Six? Marina asks. I hear her buckle and unbuckle her seatbelt nervously. Yeah, I respond. You've flown before, right? Marina is only a year older than I am, but with her solemn, thoughtful eyes and her new sophisticated haircut that falls just below her shoulders, she can easily pass for an adult. Right now, however, she bites her nails and pulls her knees up to her chest like a scared child. Yes, I say. It's not so bad. In fact, once you relax, it's kind of awesome. Sitting there on the plane, my thoughts turn in the direction of my own Sepan, Katerina. Not that I ever flew with her. But when I was nine years old, we had a close call in a Cleveland alley with a Mogadorian that left us both shaken and covered in a thick layer of ash. Katerina moved us to Southern California after that. Our crumbling two-story bungalow was near the beach, practically in the shadow of Los Angeles International Airport. A hundred planes roared overhead every hour, always interrupting Katerina's teaching as well as the little free time I had to spend with my only friend, a skinny girl next door named Ashley. I lived under those airplanes for seven months. They were my alarm clock in the morning, screaming directly over my bed as the sun rose. At night, they were ominous ghosts telling me to stay awake, to be prepared to rip off my sheets and jump in the car in a matter of seconds. Since Katerina didn't let me stray far from the house, the airplanes were also the soundtrack of my afternoons. On one of those afternoons, as the vibrations from an enormous plane overhead shook the lemonade in our plastic cups, Ashley said, Me and my mom are going to visit my grandparents next month. I can't wait. Have you ever been on a plane? Ashley was always talking about all the places she went and things she did with her family. She knew Katerina and I stayed close to home, and she liked to brag. Not really, I said.
What do you mean, not really? You've either been on a plane or you haven't. Just admit it. You haven't. I remember feeling my face burn with embarrassment. Her challenge hit its mark. I finally said, No, I've never been on an airplane. I wanted to tell her I've been on something much bigger, something much more impressive than a little airplane. I wanted her to know I came to Earth on a ship from another planet called Lorien, and the trip had covered more than 100 million miles. I didn't, though, because I knew I had to keep Lorien secret. Ashley laughed at me. Without saying goodbye, she left to wait for her dad to come home from work. Why haven't we ever been on a plane? I asked Katerina that night as she peered out the blinds of my bedroom window.